A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the good-looking young man in the green velvet suit who is known as Stephen <laughs> Bowden, and I'm here today with the enthusiastic mini-break taker who is... Jacqueline Berto. We are, of course, joined by all the guests at the non-wedding of the year, and that's you, our lovely caller inners email inners and whatsapp inners For this episode, we have seven caller inners We hear from Globetrotting Richard, who, like Stephen, is worried about the size of the drill. Two calls from Andrea in beautiful central Brittany. She has questions, you know. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who found the wedding a bit of a damp squib. Joanna in California, who compares Jazza to a staffy and calls back later to talk green energy. Paul from Olney, who thinks Linda will triumph. And finally, Kate and Catherine, who are wondering about Henry. We had another call from Martin, which had some sound quality issues, but helpfully he emailed us with what he wanted to say and we'll get to that later in the show. And of course, we have Tweet of the Week from Purple Pumpkin, our Theo. And this week's social media roundup is from Rob. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Sui, Queen or Tart. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and the threads and the anywhere else you care to find. And here's another week in Ambridge. What a lovely week we've had this week. Definitely the theme tune should have been Love is in the Air which I did find myself humming in the car. We heard all about the plans for George and Brad sharing a bedroom during Tracy and Jazza's honeymoon in Scotland due to Neil decorating a bedroom. Did that make any sense to anyone? Because it definitely didn't to me. 
The ball, however, was also decorated, transformed into Scotland personified with every possible stereotype. Then Jimmus was taken over by the pod people and reveled in his discovery that Jazza was in fact born in England. How he could ever think of putting this into his best man speech is beyond me. Tracy declared Jazza more Scottish than bagpipes and some whiskey saved the day. Brad had a heart-to-heart with Tracy about his wedding outfit, which is a green velvet suit from the charity shop. Tracy thinks he looks amazing, that every girl on the planet will fancy him. Brad is not convinced and thinks no one will ever fancy him. Mia appeared absolutely on cue with a doorbell and gave us a glimpse of things to come. They agreed to watch a film together. Oh, how exciting. Kirsty went off for a dirty weekend in Prague with Eric. There was the makings of a good gossip session, but it was interrupted by Henry's school. He'd been caught fighting. There followed the most hypocritical statements I have ever heard from Helen about how violence is never the answer and his phone was confiscated for the rest of his life together with no screen time whatsoever. This does not bode well. It turns out Henry has been listening to all the conversations about Rob. Oh dear. He asked some sensible questions and said he would protect Jack if Rob came to get him. I'm sure this will all work out just fine. Susan wasn't allowed to decorate the pub, but she came up trumps this week. She really did and talked to Helen about their shared prison experiences. Oh, I'm so proud of them. Jim has bought Tracy and Jazza some saucepans, which is not even vaguely exciting, but it turns out they really need them. Jazza sang Scarborough Fair to Tracy, which her mum used to sing to her. Oh, did anybody else have a bit of a tear in their eye? Of course, it all went tits up on the actual day of the wedding. Jazza and Tracy got locked in the bathroom after they decided to have a spot of premarital sex for the last time. Brad miraculously removed the door hinges, which I think may be impossible depending on how the door opens and whether it has double hinges. They consequently missed the wedding and they will have to have another go post-honeymoon. Mia and Brad nearly had a snog. George disrupted it and Brad finally gave him both barrels, telling George just how much he despised him. Oh, I could hear the cheering from kitchens all around the UK and beyond. And to top it off, Jim has made a splendid speech. Brad and Mia did get their snog on Friday and they planned to form a film club with just two members. I don't see him getting to Susan's any time soon. Tracy's car failed to start and it looked like the honeymoon was off. But Jimmus came to the rescue, giving them the Riley. I am glossing over V5 ownership forms and the needs to give insurance details to add them onto his insurance, which will then be invalidated by the transfer of ownership. Anyway, I hope they have a lovely time. They could pop into Gretna Green, maybe, and do the marriage thing there while embracing all the Scottishness in the world. Until then, next week, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Well, Jacqueline... How was your week? And before you say anything, I should point out to listeners that Jacqueline is dressed very well today. She's dressed for a wedding, complete with (laughs) fascinating fascinator. A distractor, we call them in this house. We went to a wedding about six years ago, and I said to Emily, Emily said, are you going to wear a hat? And I said, no, I'm going to wear a fascinator. I only own one fascinator. And when we were getting ready, I said, "I I don't know what to do about this headgear. And she said, well, I think that distractor looked lovely, Mum. So now it's always a distractor. I've just walked down and she said, Mum, why are you wearing a distractor to do dumpty dum? So there you go. 
Well, I, I think it raises the whole tone of the show. Absolutely. And I can see that you've got your cat in the background today. So let's hope she joins in at some point, enjoying a bit of sunshine in the window. She is indeed. Uh, I don't think the sunshine is going to last. We're no. forced to have rain and thunderstorms later. Yes, we've already had rain this morning at four o'clock, which was quite the opposite of what I was expecting to happen. So last night after dinner, I didn't bring all the deck chair cushions, the garden furniture cushions in. So I now am surrounded by a soft play area of cushions all drying out in the studio. <laughs> but it should reduce the echo. Right, exactly, and I'm hoping that's the case. So this week in Ambridge, how was it for you, Stephen? Well, I'm going to start with an apology for something I said last week. Because we were talking about the positive way in which Stella's coming out as a lesbian had been treated, following the same for Paul and for Rory. Following for the same for Paul and for Rory coming out as bisexual. But I said, and to go along with that, there had been very little in the way of homophobia. We did talk about Brian and Ian's father and the way they acted at the wedding. But I had completely forgotten about Sid Perks because Sid Perks was a very strongly homophobic character. Mm. He took it out both on Adam, particularly in the context of playing cricket, but also even more obviously on Sean, who was the proprietor of the Cat and Fiddle and also did interior decoration around Ambridge. And the Sid and Sean relationship was pretty appalling. Yeah, yeah, I, that's right. But in fact, thank you for correcting that. In fact, Sue also made an error in her roundup, and that was the first time I'd heard it because she said they'd been to Prague. No, there's a possibility of going to Prague. I think they'd just had a quick weekend beyond the bypass this week, but Sue was all of a flutter. She was, even though it's supposed to be a no-strings, <laughs> ongoing fling. Yeah, I think it's going to go somewhere, but that's just me. I like a bit of romance. So, What about the rest of the week in Ambridge? How did you find it? Because I'll lay my cards on the table. I've loved this week in Ambridge. Me too. Oh, good. So the question is, what was the most romantic moment of the week? And I've been asking around that. A lot of people thought it was Jazza singing Scarborough Fair to Tracy. But I think that that was capped by the Brad and Mia scene right at the end of the week when Mia finally persuaded Brad to kiss her. I thought that was a beautiful little sweet... A sweet bit of young love. Yes, I agree. I was very moved by the Scarborough Fair thing because that's a song that my parents and brothers and sisters and I used to sing and mother played the guitar and it was a very, a very touching song for us as a family. So I was very moved by that. But I agree with you. <laughs> the, the last night, that was so, so sweet, that Friday episode, finally getting and planning to have a film club between the two of them and cook a meal together and just like there'd be no food in the house. I just loved it. It was just so sweet. Um, we're old romantics, but this is a rubbish podcast if we agree on everything. Yes, I suppose there are some things we can try and find to, to disagree about. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be something later on. I disagree with one or two callers, so maybe that'll help. Oh, should we get on to the callers in that case to yes, start Yes, let's get on to those important people. Okay. Hello, Ambridge3962. Our first caller is globetrotting Richard, who has thoughts about the drill. Richard here. A 300-horsepower tractor with a seed drill can do between 160 to 300 hectares a day. 
And that means the whole of home farm in six to 12 days if they did nothing but arable, which they don't. What's it going to do in the other 49 weeks of the year, that seed drop, costing them £5,000 a month if it was an 8% interest rate and a three-year leasing agreement? They didn't do any reference visits to investigate whether regular farm workers are capable of operating a very complicated machine, as we now know that it is. My prediction is Eddie's going to make a terrible mistake or and be very upset by the fact that part of the saving the machine delivers the 10 to 30% saving of a seed drop is going to be on his wages. What else is Stella plotting that will cause feathers to be ruffled? I predict she might want spiritual home to pay rent because Kate's not been treating her and it's unprofessional. Are there any other side deals? I wonder. A few weeks ago, Stella said that she'd never end up owning a farm like home farm because she'd have to marry one. That's depressing. Surely an entrepreneurial farm manager can get together with private equity to buy a, a dysfunctional family when the patriarch retires. Just saying. The other thing is the charging station. Does it really make sense to put in a charging station in the middle of the countryside? You build cafes alongside petrol stations and you put petrol stations into places people go anywhere like supermarkets. I predict that it's planning permission dodge, but it doesn't really work. You have to put in grid capacity for charging stations and that in the middle of nowhere is going to be very expensive and very hard to get. So I'm baffled by that one. But I do hope they put in a Polish pickup drop-off remarker from InPost because that would make me feel good. Bye. Let's start with the drill. I agree with Richard Sums. I think given the field sizes at Home Farm, the drill is likely to be operating at the bottom end of Richard's estimate. So that's, what, 16 hectares an hour rather than 30 so 160 in a day. But even so, as he says, that doesn't take very long to do the whole of home farm. However, in addition to home farm, there's a thousand acres at the Barrow estate. So the drill will be used for that, which doubles the amount of work it does. But absolutely, if they don't find work elsewhere, and I'm not sure they've talked about finding work elsewhere, and even if they did, wouldn't it be the same time of year? they are going to find that it's a bit of a white elephant for the rest of the year. And he's quite right that one of the ways that they will cover the costs would be to be reducing the number of people they've got. So I think it's more likely that Ed will be made redundant rather than actually trashing the machine. I I think Ed is extremely competent and careful. If anybody's going to break that drill, I think it's going to be Brian. Yeah. Didn't they, for a long time, do a lot of the contract work for other farms? Because David always seemed to be calling Adam for to cut the wheat and stuff like that. So maybe they have other off-mic contracts. They might do, but Brookfield is a total of only 450 acres and very little of that is arable because most of that I think they use for the cows. Yeah, interesting. Well, we'll have to see, but maybe we're overthinking this. As far as overthinking is concerned, Richard has obviously thought a lot, as I have, about the placing of the EV charging station in the the village. Yeah, I agree with him entirely. As we said last week, it's ridiculous it would even be in the region of Ambridge because it should be somewhere off the bypass, as he says, next to a petrol station. And we've got another call coming up which addresses very much that sort yeah. of area. So let's save our discussion because I've got a few things to agree with on our later call from Joanna. Great. 
Next, we will hear the first of two calls from Andrea. In fact, I think I'll play them back to back. Hello there, lovely Dumpty Dummers all over the world and our two lovely presenters. It's Andrea from beautiful central Brittany. Now, I've been sitting on my hands the last couple of weeks, figuratively, obviously not literally, because the only storyline that doesn't make me want to reach through my phone and grab people like Homer Simpson is the Grundy's world of... I know I really don't want to say the F word. I've been desperately trying not to type the F word. I know it's a bit of a trigger for some people, but I can't wait to see how the Grundy's world of... turns out. I'm really excited for the fate this year for a change. And also wonderful, wonderful news from Kirsty. She's been to see Eric. Yay! So glad they're still in touch. And I really hope she goes to Prague with him. I hope she goes to lots of other places with him. It's about time she had something really good in her life, apart from Rex and rewilding. Yeah. And I had to listen to the episode twice because I think I detected that Helen sounded almost enthusiastic for a friend's good news. Enthusiastic by Helen's standards. That is, I mean, I kind of cheered on the out loud when Kirsty said she'd seen Eric and Helen just went, oh, yeah, that's nice. Lovely. So that's all. It's nice for me to say something vaguely nice about Helen. But hope you all have a good week. Speak to you soon. Try a bit. And then Andrea called back again a bit later on. Hi, Stephen, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers. It's Andrea again from beautiful Brittany on an actually beautiful day today. I want to talk about Jim. I know there's been a few Facebook posts and threads about his strange outing or trying to out Jazza's lack of Scottishness. Scotsness, and it is really out of character for Jim not to realise that Jazza being a Scot is his whole identity and his whole being. It is very weird. And then you factor in the text to Tracy and the mayonnaise incident in the shop. Although I'm the same as Jim there with thoughts popping into my head while I'm doing something else. They're usually logical to me, but not necessarily to other people. So hopefully that's not too much of a signal of anything terrible. But I think in general, the whole gym thing it is a signal of something serious. Now, I know we've had a storyline, a very long-running storyline from 2003 to 2014 with Jack Woolley's Alzheimer's. But according to the NHS, one in 14 over 65s and one in six over 80s are affected by Alzheimer's and dementia. So it's not a disease, an illness that's going to go away. It's something that is there in every community. And with an ageing village population, then I'm surprised there aren't more people with dementia symptoms around Ambridge. I couldn't find out how many over 65s there are in Ambridge. Perhaps Stephen could tell us. But just that it's Jim, actually. I really wanted Jim to go peacefully in his sleep after suffering no illnesses or diseases whatsoever. But you can't have everything, can you? Hope you all have a good week. Speak soon. Andrew's not the only person who has noticed some of Jim's behaviour and wondered whether that's signalling the onset of something like Alzheimer's. Mm. As Andrea says, we've had a very big Alzheimer's story before with Jack Woolley, and that was played brilliantly, particularly by June Spencer as Peggy, who was playing it with her own experience of her husband's dementia. So she really knew what it felt like, what it was like to, to live with that And, of course, Andrea's quite right about the statistics, one in 14 people. 
I don't know how many over 65s there are in Ambridge because we're never told actually how many people there are in Ambridge altogether. No. I'm going to guess that if you take a reasonably wide definition of the village to include the nearby farms, it's somewhere between five and 700 people. So maybe 50 people over 65, maybe a few more than that, up to 100. So you would expect there to be quite a few cases of Alzheimer's in the village. But even if we had characters with Alzheimer's or non-speaking characters with Alzheimer's, I'm not sure we'd want another big story, having worked through all those issues, with the Jack and Peggy storyline so heartbreakingly. Yeah, although dementia, Alzheimer's, they all manifest differently in, in different people. So there are different ways of going down the story. Jim has definitely been acting weirdly. A few weeks ago, we all commented that maybe he's having, it sounds like a scriptwriter's come in that doesn't know Jim because he was having kind of personality changes. So yeah, I, I'm, I for one, I'm slightly concerned by the changes in Jim, but as always, we'll wait and see. When it comes to personality changes, there's a call coming up about another character where I will be inclined to point out some of the past character changes that have gone on <laughs> with that particular character. Yes. Shall um, we move Stephen, on to our next? Wait, I just want to ask you a question. Do you like salad cream? No, I cannot stand salad cream. Me it's neither. the food of the devil. I think that there's nothing wrong with mayonnaise. Absolutely. Glad we've got that off our chests. Good. And now for our next call, and this one is from our Ambridge Pony Club. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here. So the wedding of the year turned out not to be a wedding and a bit of a damp squib. Well, given it was scheduled for a Thursday and didn't merit the dramatic Friday slot or the cosy Sunday slot, I guess we should have known. Here we go. They're going to have to sneak off and get married or whatever. Where's Bert Horribin, by the way? Doesn't he live with Tracy and Jazzer? Wouldn't the father of the bride get the odd mention? You'd have thought. So a bit worried about him. And then the only other comment I had is Henry and Helen. Helen never really got past the Brio train set stage. She liked that stage. She could control everything, make everything perfect and be the best mother ever. And really it's been going downhill ever since. She has at last finally realised that this Rob thing and what she put Henry through by jumping too quickly into a relationship with a man who had many, many red flags didn't just impact on her and did impact on him. I can't believe that she's shocked that Henry knows that Rob is back. Those kids were in the house. We know the house isn't well soundproofed. We've had all the complaints about music and everything and uh, she was yelling her head off at Lee about Rob and thumping Rob. Oh, uh, she just doesn't seem to have any awareness around perhaps fairly she's locked into her trauma but she needs to really get some help with the boys and talking to the boys and doing a better job with that. Indeed Jen. The first bit about the wedding I don't agree with Jen about the wedding. I thought it wasn't a damp squib because they pretended to everybody that they had got married. It was all a bit silly, the getting locked in and being too late, but that's just, that's the archers doing comedy, ha-ha. Whenever we have weddings, there seems to be a very limited number of people that actually speak. And of course, in this case, the wedding was at the register office and would have probably involved only the bare minimum of people. So it was the happy couple themselves, plus Susan, Brad, Chelsea. And I think that was probably just about it. 
because the main event was back in the village. Yeah. Everybody was waiting for them at the reception. So I don't think the wedding itself was an event. And the fact that it was they were able to keep it a secret suggests that the number involved yeah. was very, very small. I've been listening to a few other weddings just to see how they compare. And it's always the case that a lot of key people just don't speak. There was one in 2012, which was a Horobin wedding as well. It was the wedding of Sam Horobin, who was the daughter of Keith. Um. And Sam Horobin has never spoken. The key plot development there was this was just after the barn at Brookfield had caught fire and Mm. Emma had been staying there with George and there was a mad panic when they were fighting the fire to find Emma and George and also Josh who they also they couldn't lay their hands on and eventually it turned out that Josh and George had gone down to move a dairy cow that was carving away from the barn and that Emma was safe but then Keith Hadn't realised that Emma was in the barn when he set fire to it, not surprisingly. He told Emma how sorry he was to hear about it, and she started getting very suspicious about what he was saying then and his movements in the run-up to the wedding. So the whole wedding was, here here they come, bells, and then a conversation, a set of conversations after the wedding, Tracy talking to Ed about the bride arriving, I think, and Emma talking to Keith afterwards. So... Weddings are scenes that they're not usually played out in full, and so we do miss out on a lot of key characters. Yeah, I guess it's, especially in these days where they can't have too many characters in one place, it's always going to be all the characters that are going to speak around a mic, and we have to imagine them. I have to say, I've been disappointed not to hear Chelsea speak when she was doing her mum's hair and everything, because we had some very cosy scenes last year when Chelsea was pregnant. Make, trying to make, ignore it and then make the decision about the abortion with between her and Tracy, very understanding. So I think she'd have been a great person to hear talking to her mum beforehand. The other thing about the wedding and Tracy's involvement in it, I was, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I have to make sure that I know what's happening with... I'm not as much of a con- control freak as Philippa, but near enough between the two of us. But I would never ever have let Jazza get on and do all the decorating myself. I'd have wanted to check it all out. Jen also talked about Henry and Helen. It's an an interesting one because Helen is a very uptight person we know and Henry has been a non-speaking person. But I have to say, I've been fascinated to hear Henry speaking this week. He's been a truculent teenager with his mother and yet very understanding. So all kudos to the young actor, Blake Darby, who's taken on the role, I think it's his first acting role, of Henry, because I think he's played it very, very well. Yes, I think he comes across very much as a natural character. I think the first time he spoke, I thought he sounded a bit stage school, but actually once he's had something substantive to say, yeah, he comes across a lot more naturally. Yeah, because when he was picking... Beats or something with Uncle Tom and Tony last week or two weeks ago. It was just a bit of nonsense, really, and he didn't get the chance to get his teeth into it. But this week, we're dealing with his mother, being honest with his mother and being a bit cross all the time with her and her irritated by her being motherly in her fashion. Yep, very good acting. 
Yes, Jen's point is very good that the house, being a modern house, is hardly soundproof. No, and so the exactly. idea that Henry wouldn't hear what was going on would be a bit silly. So Helen shouldn't have been as surprised as she... And this is the point where I say, the best and easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum. And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. And you'll also find a link to that in the show notes. Or you can send us a voice note via WhatsApp on plus four four seven eight one zero zero one two eight eight one, and that's a new number for this purpose. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes, and bear in mind you need to be at least eighteen to take part. And we need your help. There are three things you can do. First of all, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast streamer you use. Please do so right now. Secondly, give us a review. It would be hugely appreciated, especially if it's on Apple Podcasts. And of course, a five-star review always goes down well. Finally, the third thing is that you could consider becoming a Patreon. Patreon is a way of contributing to the running costs of your favourite podcast. If you just go to patreon.com and search for Dumb T Dumb, we would be delighted to have your support. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So, let's get back to our calls. And the next one is from all the way over in California, and it's Joanna. Hello, Dumpty Dum. I'm calling in from California. I'm really loving delving into the characters of Tracy, Brad, Chelsea, and Jazzer this year. Foibles and brushes, yes, but they're all made of great stuff. I love the, their sincerity, their courage, their loyalty, and their gameness. Jazzer in particular I find to be a great character. He resembles a staffy, which in my mind is a very high compliment. That may be a quirky thing to say, but I've gotten to know and love all the different dog breeds in my work as a vet and animal trainer, and I'm constantly comparing people's core personalities to different dog breeds. So anyway, Jazzer has shown himself to be a staffy. He's sincere, sincere in almost everything he does. When he loves, he does so deeply and truly. He's a happy-go-lucky guy with a positive attitude and an easy smile. 
He's a good, loyal friend, and he loves his creature comforts, but he's very courageous and he's quick to brawl. He's got a high physical pain threshold, but a low emotional one, meaning he's emotionally sensitive despite his physical toughness. He's definitely a bull in the china shop, and he's really game for anything. He's fearless, and he's loving, and he's got a hard head, a bit stubborn, and deliberate. When taken all together, these are prototypical staffy qualities. Recall his jumping into birthing Martha on the road, his loyalty to Jim, his straight and fair dealings with Chelsea and Brad, his aid to Blake, his love of conviviality in the bull, his physical physicality with Neil and his pigs, his fearless love of Webster the tarantula, his funny but sincere love maneuvers with Tracy, and his reassurances and singing to Tracy this week were just too lovely. I love the nuances and detail the writers have shown in Jazzer's character, and I've absolutely loved getting to know Tracy, Chelsea, and Brad. They're all made of great stuff, sort of modern-day Tolkien-esque characters. Thank you. So Joanna thinks that Jazzer is a bit like a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Yes. Of course, there was a very famous Staffordshire Bull Terrier on the Archers for many, many years. Captain. And that's Jack Woolley's dog, Captain. Yeah. And one of the most famous storylines about Captain was when he got loose among Mrs. Antrobus's Afghans and got one of them, Portia, pregnant. And the resulting (laughs) offspring were some of the ugliest dogs you would have seen. (laughs) Now, if I'm going to agree with Joanna about Jazza being a bit like a staffy, I think I'm going to go with that angle. Because I remember when Jazza first appeared as a character, and this was about 25 years ago, when the Grundys were living in Meadow Rise. Yeah. And Jazza was a wild and disreputable student in the same year at school as Ed. He moved to Ambridge, or he started working in Ambridge, as a milkman, among other things. He was a member of Dross. He had a serious drug problem with ketamine and so forth, which caused him to get kicked out of Dross and banned from the bull for an extended period. As a milkman, he was pretty promiscuous. He admitted that he would go around and have affairs with his customers. I think affair is probably too grand a term for (laughs) what he got up to. So the original version of Jazza was very much at the unpleasant end of the spectrum. And he's gone through some amazing transformation into this lovable character, not even a lovable rogue, but a sort of lovable, dependable person. And I'm afraid I still struggle with it. I really don't think that it's plausible. So if you're talking about character changes, as we were earlier in respect of Jim, who also started off as incredibly grumpy and so forth when he first arrived with his leg in a plaster and imposed himself on Shula and Alistair, I think this transformation into somebody lovable is implausible. Oh, well, that's interesting because I love Jazza. There aren't many characters I really, really dislike. There are a couple of other women, as you know. But Jazza, as he is now, I like a lot of things about him, yes. But you have to give people who've been mm, not such nice people at the beginning the benefit of the doubt as they get old and mature. You can give them the benefit of the doubt. I will, Stephen. You leave that one to me. <laughs> Next up, we have Paul. Hello, everyone. Paul and Oldie here. And apologies to Jacqueline for getting distracted with the Bob and Helen stuff last week when I merely meant to be talking about the Grundys. I think, as I've not really been in this week at all, just a small plot prediction, Linda will triumph. I don't think that 
manipulator though he is, Eddie can out-manipulate her. This week, though, it's, it's all been about romance, hasn't it? I mean, there's the wedding that wasn't, and how long before everybody else finds out? I'm sure they will. And George Grundy trying to stick his oar in, trying to come the big man, trying to tease Mia about whether she fancies Brad or not. And was that what tipped her to think, actually, yes, she does? There's been a little bit of speculation on the Facebook group, I think, this maybe a bit forward. I think this is. This is quite a sweet relationship. They're both really quite young. I, I think it's going to be a while yet before it's the same sort of worries as people had about Shula heading off into the grain fields. Have a good week, everyone. Take care. So, Linda, I think she'll get the better of Ed Grundy in the end. I think she would under normal circumstances. I have this horrible sinking feeling that recent references to Robert are presaging something happening ah. to him because, uh, as we know, Graham Blockley, who plays Robert, died last year. And yeah. I think at some point they're going to have to resolve the fact that Robert is still around as a character. And I have a horrible feeling that's going to be coming up fairly soon. And oh. that may result in Linda having to step away, being unable to carry on with the fate, leaving yeah. it all in Eddie's hands. That gives me a sinking feeling, yes, because I try not to think about that because he's such a lovely character, Robert, and it acted so well by Graham. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you're probably right there. So I'll take back my words. But so, let's be um, more cheerful with the other part of yeah. Paul's call, which is how he thought that Brad and Mir was very sweet. And as I think I said at the beginning of the programme, I absolutely agree. I think that they're a lovely couple. I think there's lots of scope for lightweight fun stories while they watch Kurosawa films and Tarkovsky films. I think they're going to be a very joyful summer couple, aren't they, for this summer? I can't remember, you'll know this, what's the age difference between them? Is she in the same year or the year below? I think they're fairly close in age. I will look that up and put it in the show notes like I did last <laughs> time with the date of Adam's wedding. Yes. Oh, thank you, Stephen. You're so efficient. That's why I like doing this podcast with you. <laughs> you carry all the weight. <laughs> right. We've now got the second call from Joanna. Hello, Dumpty Dum. Calling in from California again because this Ambridge EV charging station dilemma is a microcosm of the same terrible urban planning and land use decisions happening all over the world, and it's important to address. Okay, so it's lovely to think about noiseless, non-smoky, non-carcinogenic exhaust-type cars if we have to have cars. But first a given, there has to be solar arrays or wind power or some unlimited natural form of energy to power the stations, or they are no go as far as green energy. Second, urban planning and land use in general are really important in this age of climate change, increasing population and decreasing healthy land for both food production and wildlands. We depend on the viability of wild and domestic flora and fauna on these lands for our very lives. The oxygen, water cycle, and soil fertility are controlled by these, believe it or not. Mini malls, which is what this darn thing is, mean pavement and infrastructure, which mean no water soakage, less groundwater recharge, more drought, more flooding. So it's not good enough to say, okay, we're being green, let's slap a charging station anywhere, and I'm being helpful. It's really important not to use prime agricultural land for industry, and certainly not for a misplaced mini mall, if we can help it. Yes, every little urban project adds up. So, are there petrol stations in Ambridge or by major highways? Put the charging stations where these already are, or slip them in on already paved areas next to major freeways. Better yet, 
output electricity producing wind, geothermal, or solar arrays with batteries on the individual homes and businesses that want a car and charge from there. Justin could make a profit here instead. Use that green energy also to help with cooking, hot water, and heating needs. Then put public charging stations on major roadsides for longer trips. Do not put EV charging stations on wild or ag land of any sort. We need these lands. Do not give up the fight, Jim. This is a podcast about the archers, so I think there's a limit to how far we want to get into the pros and cons of building EV charging stations. But I think that Joanna is absolutely right that concreting over two acres of agricultural land on the edge of Ambridge is a bad idea because of what it does to the the risk of flooding and the flow of water. It's been the case even in when they were building petrol stations in villages in the 1940s and 50s that they tended to build them over the village pond and that then meant that instead of water flowing into the village pond and gradually flowing away, it just went straight through it over and and flooded the villages. And I used to live in a village in Warwickshire many years ago and they built some new houses over what had been the petrol station and those houses just flooded so regularly because they were where the pond used to be and the water just flowed down from the area around there and it couldn't drain away. So the houses got flooded and the road got flooded nearby. So I, I agree with that. It's it's a not a sensible thing to do. And if you've already got places concreted over by the bypass, for instance, where there may well be existing petrol stations, that feels the logical place to do it. I agree with the sentiments uh, entirely, both yours and Joanna's, but the have been technological changes. I don't don't think the EV uh, charging station should be built in Ambridge. I've said it many times. But nowadays, most um, areas of, of parking um, and certainly petrol stations are not concreted over. They're, uh, they're tarmacked over. And the tarmac that is now used more regularly in uh, wide open spaces for large parking areas is absorbing, water absorbing, water drains through it. You throw a bucket of water on it and it it goes through the tarmac. Um, I have to declare a little bit of a technical um, know-how on this simply by uh, dint of Mr. Berto is uh, owns a travel public company and that's what we do, tarmac. So that's clearly the future. But even so, if you've got land that's already been tarmacked over, concreted over, yeah. wouldn't it be better to replace that with Absolutely. porous tarmac rather than doing it? Because even if it's porous, it's still not as good as the fields. And no. as Joanna said... We need the fields to be fields. Yeah, absolutely. And food production, etc. But let's get back to the archers quick. In that case, let's get on to our final call. And that's from Kate and Catherine. Hi, it's Kate and Catherine. We've been to Billy Joel at Hyde Park. And she's laughing. And it was brilliant. And we're having to share a room because orcs. Anyway, I'm ringing up about Henry and about I'm ahead of you. And I don't understand what Henry's done. So... She was phoned up, but we never found out. Was Henry sent home? Was he suspended? What was the deal? Also, as a parent of some experience of boys, I would say that I thought her punishment was totally over the top. A whole week with no screens is ridiculous. And after a while, as an also very lazy parent, you do think, what the hell have I done this for? I've cut off my nose to spite my face. Henry is a kid who's traumatised and it's never been addressed as we've discussed before. God, that is just so annoying. Other thing is, 
I was just explaining to Kate, who was a bit behind. I said, oh, God, they had sex before their wedding. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, Jazza, they seem to be going away for 10 days. She couldn't afford a dress. She had to borrow one from Jolene's stage wardrobe, probably rhinestone. Oh, so awful. And so she couldn't afford a dress, but they're going away for 10 days purely to put Brad and George back into a house together. And surely Brad's got, which is a nice one, Brad, Brad's got a mate from school or something. It's just so irritating. And the wedding was irritating. I did think the Scottish thing was quite funny, though. But that's it. Have we got anything else to add about the archers? I'm, I'm a week behind. She's a week behind. She's useless. Have a great week. <laughs> what a brilliant call. Always good value, Catherine. And little Kate in the background. She couldn't get a word in edgeways, could she? Billy Joel, how fantastic. Should we start with the wedding and the fact that they thought that it was ridiculous? I tend to agree. The whole point about the wedding was that it was supposed to be as low cost as possible. Yeah. And yet that seemed to have been thrown out of the window. So we have the decorating of the bull upstairs. We have the trip up to Scotland. All these things which are not cheap. I mean, the petrol, particularly if they're going up in a Riley, which is not the most fuel efficient of vehicles, all are I'm, going to cost. Uh, Stephen, I'm some sorry, money. I have to stop you because somebody has decided to print something off. Just gonna, I just have to go and shout at somebody. Excuse me. Again, couldn't find her to shout at. Definitely something else printing. Sorry, Stephen. Not a problem. We can carry on. The other thing that Catherine and Kate was talking about was Henry and the incident when the school called him up. They were wondering what had actually happened. Given I think that Helen turned up at the school, I suspect that he'd been taken out of class and stuck somewhere on his own to contemplate his behaviour. And so he hadn't been formally excluded or anything. There was just a discussion about his behaviour. Though I don't think it's the first time that he's been involved in bullying, although I had a look and I couldn't find proof that he'd been a bully before. But I have a feeling that he has been... Maybe it was in a playground or something with Lee. Yeah, I had a feeling. They thought he was being bullied and it turned out he was the bully. Yeah, I think there was... When he was in junior school, definitely, there was something. Can't put my finger on it completely. But no, I agree. In fact, I think Catherine's asking that question as a school teacher. So she obviously knows what happens when kids get involved with things, but I suspect he was just put to one side, put in a kind of detention place. Used to be on the black tiles in our school reception at Ibingham Comprehensive. And mum was called and so she came to take him out for the day, but he'd be going back in school the next day. It was a home punishment more than a school punishment, maybe. Yes, and there was that screen ban. Now, I'm a parent of a boy, but he was at school in the 90s and around the turn of the century. And so mobile telephones for children weren't a thing at that point. No. So the idea of a screen ban really wasn't there. And also he was pretty well behaved, so we didn't usually have to have any problems of that sort. He didn't get involved in bullying. No, I mean, I've been very lucky with all of mine. None of them have ever been involved with any bullying or, to my knowledge, being bullied. Screen bans as well. Most of mine 
who were grown up before they got their first screens. I think Emily, the youngest, who's 21, she got a screen. She had an iPod at some point until she went to probably where she had to catch a bus to school when at least say. So that was the first time she had a phone probably and it was not a smartphone, I can tell you. Those are the calls. But you can also send us an email if you'd prefer. Visit the dumptdum.com website and click the contact us tab at the top of the page. Please keep them brief, up to a maximum of about 250 words. Remember, you need to be 18 or over to submit any views or comments. And this week, we had one email from Martin, who wants to talk about Tom and Helen and the lost millions. I had a few thoughts on those legal fees that are, so far as I can see, Helen's responsibility. I did a voice message, but it may have been lost in the ether due to technical difficulties, and now I can't exactly remember my point. It's an age thing. (laughs) Anyway. I recall that I was not particularly happy with Tom, yet again, disempowering Helen by paying her legal fees without her consent or knowledge. Totally out of order, and it's incredulous that she was so calm about it. She's trying to break free of this kind of thing. My other point was the money from the sale of the land, and that's the land that was now the Beechwood estate where Helen and Joy live, surely they have some left over for those rainy day moments, and what about the redevelopment of the shop? Lastly, I'm sniffing a plot line in which Natasha goes berserk with Tom for two reasons. One, it's not his money, and two, she was banking on that money to pay off her credit card debt, without telling Tom, obviously. Yes, very good, good points there, Martin. I agree that I've always wondered what happened to the selling of the land money. I know they had great plans for it, weren't they? They were going to build a cheese school and expand all sorts of aspects of the bridge farm business, but then it was all stopped. I think the cheese school failed didn't it they tried to run some courses and nobody turned up nobody came but did they expand the building to have a place for the cheese school or was it going to take place in does sound very hygienic to have people traipsing in into actually where they make the cheese already i don't know that's a bit of a mystery to me but i agree with martin completely where are the lost millions yes what about rolling money yeah, absolutely. But what about his comment that Tom, being normally Tomish, is disempowering Helen by paying her legal fees? What do you think about that? I think that's probably going a bit too far. I think that it would have been better if Tom had spoken to Helen before actually paying and offering to do so. Yeah. But I don't think that it was totally disempowering. I think that both Tom and Helen are somewhat infantilised by their parents. They haven't really left home, either of them, even no. if not actually living at Bridge Farm. They're still treated by Pat and Tony as if they're children. And so I think that that's the big problem rather than Tom's relationship with Helen. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The the fact that I basically, although I don't like Tom very much, and I find his actions are really rather silly a lot of the time, I felt that it was well-meant rather than disempowering. Yes, I'm sure it was meant well. It was also, I think, to assuage his guilt over the way that that money was acquired. And as well as an email from Martin, we also had a WhatsApp message from our Theo. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a brief WhatsApp in with a thought for this week. Have you ever been invited to a wedding that didn't actually happen? I haven't, although I did once have responsibility for a hen party that got cancelled because the bride couldn't face yet another party. But in Ambridge, we've had Tom leaving Kirsty at the altar, Justin and Lillian going off the idea, and now Tracy and Jazza missing their own nuptials. I quite enjoyed much of this week, 
but it does seem to be rather reusing a storyline for the wedding not to have actually happened. That's my thought. Thanks for all you do for the pod. Your loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin. Yes, that's three weddings in the not-too-distant past, which haven't gone according to plan. But then there have been quite a few that did go off Yeah, fine. So Adam and Ian, apart from the bit about their respective fathers not getting on, then there was David and Ruth, there was Chris and Alice in Las Vegas, there was Alan and Usha. Did we yeah. do that wedding? I think we did. Yeah, I think we did. And there was Ed and... Ed, Ed and Emma. Emma, yeah. been quite Sam a Horribin, few weddings have gone well, I think. I've, have you ever been to a wedding that didn't take place? No, I don't think so. All the weddings I've been to, probably not as many as some, have all gone through. Some of them have been a bit weird, but they've all happened. I went to one that nearly didn't take place. Got to a cousin's wedding in Immingham, and she didn't live in Immingham, but she was getting married from her uncle's house, which is next door but one to my parents. And we got to the church only to be, for it to be discovered that the bands had never been read. So we all went off to the reception, as you do, had the reception whilst the bride's uncle and her brother went rushing off to Lincoln to find the chief registrar to get a special license. And we all went back to the church six hours later, like in the evening, and they got they had the wedding then, but we'd all eaten and drunk and it was all very merry. Of course, in the past, you had to get the bands read or get a special license, which used to be a lot harder to get than it is now when the only legal weddings were Church of England weddings, yeah. which is where Gretna Green came into things because that was the easiest way to get married quickly. You would just cross the Scottish border to go to <laughs> Gretna Green and get married over the anvil in the forge. Yeah, that's right. And some people have been suggesting that that might be where Jazza and Tracy will finally get, it get done. themselves properly married. Although the whole Gretna Green thing, it's very much a big packaged up thing. So I think the idea of a quickie wedding Gretna Green isn't really... No longer happens. <laughs> well, that was good to hear from our loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin, and you'll be hearing a lot more from her next week, won't you? Indeed. She'll be co-hosting with me. Yes, because I'm actually about to disappear off for a month with various family things and a, hopefully a holiday in Ireland. I won't be back after this one until mid to late August, I think. So you'll be with Theo, and then it's Philippa taking over for a few weeks, isn't it? Yes, we're handing over to Philippa, who will be presenting with a couple of co-presenters, I think Katie and Quentin. Quentin, very good. So, shall we get to hear what our social media gurus have been talking about on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page? So here it is, with our Rob. Hello there, everyone. It's the other much nicer Rob with the social media roundup for the last week. The week started with a comment from Darcy Jorgensen, which stirred memories, ignited passions, and resurrected long-dead arguments going back to the days of Royfield being a presenter. She said, Just to stir things up on a Saturday, I will throw this down. Pronounce scone however you like, debate the jam versus cream layering, clotted cream may have a third-party brief, but I don't like strawberries. This ignited a flurry of responses, which ranged across a panoply of jams, preserves and curds. At one point, that American staple, the PB&J, even got a mention. Other passions were stirred by the meeting between the other Rob and Lee. The main feeling seemed to be, Oh, Lee, you fool! 
You've told him everything he needs to go to get you out of the picture and get Jagidian taken away from Helen for his own safety. But in a case of life-imitating art, Julia Dalrich wrote in to say that Hillfield Gardens, where Rob met Lee, is just down the road from me. In fact, we planted a tree there for my late husband. It's a lovely little park, and I'm glad to say I've never seen Mr. Titchener lurking there. There were thoughts, both pro and con, about the burgeoning romance between Brad and Mia, but what really got everybody talking was that they both said that they were fans of Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, which is older than both of them. Why, it must be nearly 20 years old. Oh, it was released in 1984. Hmm. Pam Delive summed it up with, Once in a lifetime you may find yourself on what seems like the road to nowhere, but eventually you reach a village and think this must be the place where a psycho killer can be caught burning down the house. You've reached Ambridge. Another talking point was the discovery that Jazza was actually English. I think the majority of us thought that the scriptwriters had found a story in the 1960s book of unbelievable sitcoms. The way it was to be announced and the effect it would have were both, frankly, quite unbelievable. The majority agreed with Natasha Cern, who said it was nearly as bad as the one where they got caught in flagrante at Grey Gables. Regardless of how you thought of Jazz's reaction to Jim's news, the majority of us were quite touched by him singing Scarborough Fair to help Tracy sleep. Karina Patton had hoped to hear the whole song. Darcy Jorgensen thought it was incredibly sweet, while Kay Goff said that if it didn't make you well up, then you have a cold piece of stone where your heart should be. There were some dissenting voices, but we're all entitled to our opinions. I think we all thought that the wedding was going to be the highlight of the week, but instead it turned out to be a literal non-event. However, all the attention turned to Brad. He rescued Tracy and Jazza from the, um, hilarious bathroom predicament. The way he couldn't do it straight away was beyond me. Still, we all liked him being late again, this time with putting George in his place. Helen Blackburn was nice and succinct. Well done, Brad. Get that odious George put in his place. While Pam Delay was even succincterer with I heart Brad standing up to George. And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and follicks on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Bye now. Thank you to Rob and to everyone who's posted their thoughts on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. And now it's time to welcome the four new members to that group. Yes, a very warm welcome to Gay White, Dora Hancock, Kayla King and Julia Duncan. And did we receive any reviews this week? Yes, we did. We received one and it was a five star review on Apple Podcasts from Lily Mac 1960. And it goes like this. I've not listened to this podcast regularly for some time, largely due to time commitments, but I have recently managed to get my smart speaker to play it. I'm really enjoying the new format, although sometimes the volume is a little low and Stephen is sometimes difficult to hear. Well, I'm sorry that sometimes I'm a bit difficult to hear and that the volumes are low. I have to confess that I'm fairly new to the whole podcast editing and production business, and I'm really learning as I go. I hope that they get better over time and this week I'm using some new editing software which might make it easier and might make it better for the overall sound balance. We'll just have to see but I'll keep trying.
Well, from this side of the screen, I think you've done an amazing, you hit the ground running and you do a fantastic job, Stephen. Thank you for picking up that side of the work of making this podcast. Now, you'll also find us on Twitter under at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, which helps those using screen readers to enjoy any Archers based tweets. That hashtag is also your gateway to the tweet along that takes place alongside the daily episodes and really gets going for the Sunday omnibus. As well as at Dumpty Dum, we're both on Twitter ourselves. I can be found at at Wenlock House. And I'm at Jberto Sanguen. And now let's turn to this week's gongs. Hello, it's Fry here. And now on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette and everyone else who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, we tweet-alongers were very worried about the new Twitter limits imposed by that nice Mr. Musk. Loyal listeners will recall that a while ago we tried out tooting along on Mastodon, but it isn't a perfect alternative to Twitter. And this week, a number of us joined the throngs downloading the new Threads app from Instagram. But until Threads has hashtags, I think we'll be sticking to Twitter and hoping for the best. There are some good pictures of kilts and green velvet suits to be seen on Twitter Threads this week for those who want to enjoy the feeling that they were at the wedding of the week. But now to my medals. In bronze position, it's a gong for Ambridge Pony Club at Jen J. Stephen who said, This evening, I've dealt with a blocked toilet, a malfunction in the vivarium, a ton of wet sailing gear, and now there's Helen. That's not a good evening. The silver medal goes to Ninesy, at Ninesy, who I think spoke for all of us when she said, Brad, for the love of Nelson's dodgy antique shop, kiss the girl. And on a similar theme, the gold medal this week goes to Jen D at Asteroid Chick. So, are we going for Bria or Mad? I think it'll have to be Bria, but that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter next time. Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in Purple Pumpkin's Roundup, but especially those medal winners. In bronze, Ambridge Pony Club at Jen underscore J Stephen. In silver, Ninesy at Ninesy. And in gold, Jen D at Asteroid Chick. Don't forget that we are on Instagram as at Dumpty Dum, which is run by the very lovely Katie, so do follow us there. And include the hashtag Dumpty Dum if you make an Instagram post which you think would be interesting for our Dumpty Dum family. As we said, next week I'll be here with Theo, who will be making her debut in the presenter's chair, We'll be recording on Saturday morning again, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday, UK time. And it remains just to say thank you to all our contributors and to our social media supremos. As ever, we also thank Shambridge for her voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Dum-ti-dilly-dum-ti-dilly-dum-ti-dilly-dum. 